Hello and welcome back to the ILO's Future of Work podcast. I'm Sophie Fisher. In this show, we'll be talking about the care sector and why it is crucial to a future with decent work. Worldwide, it's estimated that around 380 million people work in care sectors. Two thirds of these are women. These numbers are expected to grow, in particular in childcare and in care for the elderly. It follows that there is great potential for the creation of jobs. But the ILO has warned that not only is there a current shortage of care workers, but factors such as low wages, poor working conditions, and a lack of protections and benefits mean that the sector isn't attracting new workers. This potentially sets us up for a global care crisis. Earlier this year, the UN designated the 29th of October as International Care and Support Day. The purpose was to highlight some of these issues and encourage solutions. So we thought this would be a good opportunity to try and do just that. So with me today are Christy Hoffman. Christy is General Secretary of the Uni Global Union. Christy, welcome. As I understand it, Uni is a trade union federation that represents more than 20 million workers in service sectors. Is that correct? Yes. In 10 sectors of the economy. Great, okay. And also with us is Laura Adati, who is a maternity protection and work family specialist at the ILO. Laura, welcome to you too, and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Sophie. Let me come back to Christy first of all, and um, talk to us a little bit more about um, the workers that you represent. I gave a quick sketch at the beginning about conditions in the sector. Would you say that was about right? Indeed, yes. So uh, low wages, poor working conditions, a lack of protections of benefits, is that pretty common? I mean, I, I think you have to distinguish uh, uh, from uh, in terms of the various kinds of care. And let me just be um, clear in terms of uni. Um, we, we represent workers, uh, we're primarily in, in private sector. Um, and um, we have some acute, acute care work. But what I'd really like to talk about today is more the problems in long-term care. Because um, I do think that as distinct from acute care, healthcare, um, you know, that long-term care is where we'll see a huge amount of growth, both um, in the need for uh, employment, but also where we see the real degradation of um, conditions. And um, it's not only low paying conditions. There is that, of course, but part of that is um, there's also staffing shortages, which make it very, very hard work. Um, and that, that's been kind of a circular thing. The worse the conditions, the more the staffing shortages. But we've seen that emerge after the pandemic and during the pandemic, for sure, in some of these long-term care arrangements. And then the whole like skew of uh, non-standard, as you would say at the ILO, arrangements, short, uh, short-term um, contracts or temporary agency contracts, um, you know, even um, zero hours contracts in some countries ranging to complete informality. Um, and then of course, you know, you see even volunteer work in some, in some uh, really low income countries. So I think those are the kinds of things that give rise to the poor paying conditions is also the informality in long-term care and home care in particular. Um, and in nursing homes, um, where I think you see, um, you know, some of that is missed sometimes in some of the reporting about long-term care, but the conditions in nursing homes were so, so 
uh, shameful um, during the pandemic, how many nursing home workers died. And the, the reality for those workers is something that deserves a fair amount of attention, I would argue. I mean, during the pandemic, there was a lot of focus on the role and, and the value to society of care workers. And you know, promises and uh, talk about improving conditions. From what you say, that didn't really convert into anything practical? Well, nothing happens just because they got applause. Unfortunately, I think what's happening in terms of converting into something practical is that these workers are coming together in greater, greater numbers and demanding improvements. Um, And so we've seen strikes, we've seen organizing. um, Certainly in Switzerland, there was a law passed that raised the minimum wages for care workers to, I think, 20 francs. Um, so there's a little bit. Twenty an hour, that would be. Yeah, 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 yes. Yeah. Um, but there's so there's a little bit of um, um, improvement, but not just by the you know good grace of the you know of the employers. It's really been it's it's really been a fight, and across the board, no, there hasn't been this like oh we've realized care workers are so important, let's increase their wages. Not at all. Not at all. And so they're mad, they're fed up, and the staffing shortage becomes more and more acute, uh, which to some extent drives some improvement in wages. You know, in some of the low, lower wage occupations, you see a little bump up because there's a labor shortage, but but and staffing shortage in particular. But for the most part, we need to organize these workers into unions. They need to have collective bargaining. Um, and there needs to be uh, obviously more public investment into care. That's a big part of it. Um, and it all needs to come together as a package because we can invest in care and deliver bad jobs. And this isn't really what we want. If the agenda is a better world, a better care, but in addition, we want gender equality. And as you point out, these, these jobs are two thirds women. I think more than that in, in domestic and home care, I think it's over 90% women. Um, I might be wrong about that number, but but uh, I think, it, you know, it, then when we see this as a, as a way to look at, as a lens for gender equality, it's not only about creating good care jobs, but it's also about creating the conditions through which women who do all the unpaid care or the large majority can actually enter the labor movement if there are good care options. So so it's really part of a, a, a complete quilt of here's what we need to do to address gender inequality as well. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about, about this um, this issue of gender in the care sector and the fact that it is, it is female dominated I and mean, because there have been other other ILO research, which has shown that when you have a sector that is female dominated, the wages and the conditions tend to to go down. And the inverse happens when you get more men into the sector, uh, the wages and conditions tend to improve. Um, Is this something, do you think, that, that policies can actually help with? Well, for sure. I mean, you look at, in, uh, even on the legal front, we just saw a big case brought by a UK affiliate GMB against the uh, differential in pay. Not so much two people working at the same job, but between a care worker and someone with similar skills in a male-dominated, um, in a di- male-dominated occupation. And there was a big lawsuit brought in New Zealand on the same issue, and they won 
big improvements for care workers on the legal and using the legal tool. Um, now, I don't know if we need to do that everywhere. I think it's a really powerful, um, powerful message. We also see the difference between long-term and acute care. You know, the uh, OECD put out a report showing that the comparable workers would earn you know, 24 euros an hour in acute care to 15 euros an hour in long-term care. So that's even the same worker. Um, you know, comparable occupations, there's a, there's a big difference there as well, I think. Um, but on the gender equality issue, as you know, we do see some legal cases pumping up and succeeding, and that, that actually has the impact of lifting up the wages for care workers, but I think on the policy side, it could be addressed as well, absolutely. And they're having to do that in New Zealand because the case had such a big impact. Laura, let me bring you in here um, because um, the issue of, of gender equality in the care sector is also something that, that you've been looking at, I think. Yes, and uh, this new in International Day for Care and Support really emphasizes the need for the substantial investments in the care economy and to build this care and support system that are robust, resilient, and gender transformative. So gender transformative it means ensuring that the jobs that are created are of good quality, as we heard from uh, Christy, they need to be formal, uh, they need to be safe, uh, free from violence and harassment. Uh, and, and we know that so many women uh, face uh, um, and, and other um, workers face violence and harassment in care occupations. Also, we need to uh, offer adequate wages and equal pay for work of equal value. So that's extremely important and offer uh, social and uh, labor protection, training and accreditation. It's not because women uh, um, are uh, overrepresented in these jobs uh, that we not sh should not see these jobs as um, uh, skilled uh, that need um, um, reward uh, and value. Right. Now, you've been looking, I think, at um care as it relates to childcare, um, which of course is the, is the other major sector. Christy has been talking about uh, long-term elder care and, and care in, in homes. So what were the basic things that, that you found as relating to childcare? The new brief um, that has been published on uh, in October uh, 23 um, focuses on the benefits of investing in transformative uh, uh, childcare policies. Um, so when we talk about investing uh, in uh, care and support systems, we're also looking at all those care policies that include maternity, paternity, parental leave, um, childcare services, long-term care services uh, that are staffed with uh, quality uh, care jobs. Um, at the ILO, we have dedicated our efforts in uh, creating a robust evidence case and um, an investment case to guide governments, workers and employers in formulating and financing uh, transformative care policies. We have um, launched um, an ILO care policy investment simulator that is an online tool that helps um, really what wishes to empower users to advocate for uh, transformative investments, bringing the arguments uh, that would um, allow social dialogue around care policies and um, bring the evidence that 
these are not costs, are investments, and we need public solutions for uh, uh, tackling uh, the growing uh, care challenges. So uh, the brief highlights that um, investing um, in uh, uh, transformative uh, care uh, policy packages uh, could cr generate um, almost 300 million jobs by 2035. And when we look specifically at childcare policies, we find that um, um, every dollar invested in closing childcare policy gaps could result in an average increase of $3.76 in global GDP by 2035. Um, and these, we find that these benefits um, are um, present everywhere, uh, independent from regional and uh, income uh, diversity. Um, and there are also important gender equality uh, advantages uh, for the simulations based on, the sim on the, this new tool show that also women's employment rates could increase from the 2019 average of 46% to um, uh, a simulated 56% by 35, so uh, important uh, reduction in gender uh, uh, inequality in employment, but also global gender gap in monthly earnings could be reduced from uh, the 2019 average of 20% to uh, 8% in 2035. So this alone, of course, um, won't resolve the whole issue of gender inequality in the labor market, but really point to the urgency of prioritizing investments that can really bring meaningful societal transformation. So if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is that for every dollar spent on additional childcare between uh, the ages of when the child is born and uh, when it can start uh, full-time education, for every dollar that is spent on that, the potential um, economic return is $3.7? Exactly. Precisely. And in addition to that, there are benefits of um, uh, reducing the gender pay gap get, because you're allowing women to get back into the workforce and um, increasing the, uh, the amount of actually women in the workforce. Exactly. And also creating good quality care jobs. It's all the direct jobs. That's that a key, isn't it? It's not just getting the jobs as they have to be good jobs. Exactly. They need to be trained jobs. They need to be um, well-paid jobs. There should be enough workers. What we see, we've heard from Christie is that we're living in some countries, um, the results of um, years of underinvestment in care sectors. And in other countries, um, financing choices that are based on market logics are really creating uh, an exodus of uh, uh, care uh, professionals. Um, providers are uh, struggling to hire uh, quality trained care professionals. And we all suffer when um, carers are not recognized and uh, empowered to deliver for uh, our lo loved ones. Yeah. Um, Christy, uh one of the things that Laura has has mentioned in, in what she was saying is not just um, the creation of jobs, but the creation of good 
formal jobs, which of course come with with protections and of course with paying taxes back to to, to governments. To, to what extent do you think that in the uh, the long term care sector, uh, where your members work, um, that it's the conditions? of the jobs that are uh, as important or even more important than uh, the actual wages themselves. To what extent are the conditions? Um, is it an issue of conditions as much as money? I, I know I think money is really important. I, I think that the conditions drive the money to some extent. I, I don't, I've, when you were talking about such low wages, really a small difference can be transformative for some low wage workers. So I don't want to take money out of the table, but I do think that when you're not in a formal relationship, when you don't have um, you know, a standard employment relationship, it's much harder to make more money. So I think, and it's certainly much harder to organize. And the, the, when you look at domestic care workers caring for the elderly, um, the push to formalize those relationships has been really transformative to ensure that those workers are both able to come together in unions because they have an employer, they're able to negotiate higher wages, but also, of course, expand, improve their conditions. And I want to come back to the point about training, because I do think that, um, you know, it's, it's proven that when we have uh, workers who move out of informality um, and come into a, a, a different kind of um, in employment relationship and they are able to get some certification and some upskilling, it really benefits the clients as well as the worker because the worker has more skills, they're able to negotiate, um, be in a position to get higher wages, but the client's also getting better care. So I think there's a win-win for everyone and, and training is is very important as in terms of the care economy. Um, but um, yes, of course, conditions matter but we but you know pay is absolutely essential people need a living wage yeah, I think your your point about training is well taken because anybody who has seen a, a, a care worker in action will will know that it's actually a, a skilled job. Um, let me ask you this: International Day of Care and Support that the UN created this year. Do you think that's going to be a help? How do you think it's going to um, to affect the industry? I mean, I think it's terrific that um, we're having this opportunity to pay attention to these people who are so essential to every one of us who hasn't had a mother or a child who needed care. Um, and I, I do think that it's it's important as a moment where we can, you know, do things like we're doing today. We're having a podcast or we're issuing reports or uh, we'll be able to celebrate the victories that we've seen over the past uh, year in particular of, of, of workers coming together to negotiate better conditions. But putting a spotlight on these workers who lived for so long in the shadows, uh, we just expect that we're going to be able to find some, you know, uh, you know, migrant worker or low wage worker. There's just sort of, oh, well, we'll be able to find someone to come in and take care of the grandmother. Um, you know, actually, the reality is um, we need to upgrade the industry. We need to put more attention onto it. We need to make sure that all workers in the care sector are getting um, both a, a relationship through which they can come together, negotiate good collective agreements, um, and you know have decent work all around. And, and that I agree with the the comments, um, Laura's comments about you know it's got to be safe work. It, it has to be um, 
It has to be regular schedules. Scheduling is really, really difficult for care workers. Often, if you're moving from one client to another, you don't get paid for the time in between. Uh, you're, you're spending time with the clients, so the travel time, that's a big issue for care workers who are negotiating with their employers um, is how to treat that, that trans transportation time. Uh, so, you know, but we have seen, um, uh, we have seen some really good models emerge. And um, I know in the ILO's report from last year, you talked about the um, SEIU and AFSCME, uh, the big project they've done in the state of California to uh, formalize uh, care workers, the home care workers there, and what a transformation that has made for the lives of those many, many thousands of care workers. We've seen this year uh, in the Czech Republic where, where nursing homes are very, very low, uh, very, um, you know, poorly represented by unions in general, but we, um, some of our affiliate got a, one of the first uh, collective agreements for over um, 1,500 employees in 32 care homes across the country with substantial wage increases. So, so this is also these. We have to celebrate these victories. I mean, the SEIU model. I point that out. That's that's a long. That's some time ago. But I think it's it's a good model that others can follow. I think the Czech Republic um, example is you know important to see these private sector nursing home care workers coming together in countries where unions have very low density, especially in the care industry, and that they were able to come together and, and uh, create a new, a new model for themselves. And Laura, just finally, um, the ILO, as you mentioned, has launched this uh, new care policy investment simulator and the care policy portal. How do you hope those will be used? The care policy investment simulator and portal are important tools for uh, empowering governments, workers, employers, um, and other key stakeholders in making informed decisions. So we really um, have the tools uh, out there. We need the policy commitment, the political commitment uh, of states and workers and employers uh, that have the responsibility to deliver care. So. This day really uh, reminds us the importance to invest to, uh, in our carers. Great. Thank you, Laura and Christy. Thank you very much for, for that. It's a good note to leave it on. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for in this podcast. Thank you to you both for joining us. And thank you also to you, our listeners, for giving us your time and attention. I hope you will join us again soon for another Future of Work podcast. But for now, goodbye. <laughs>